Does anybody happen to know what those two words used together that I cannot, cannot stand? Do anybody have any idea what those are? Cassidy, do you know what those are? Go ahead. Say them, Caleb. Be, be bold. I, I cannot read lips, okay? I can't. Thank you. Thank, I hate those words. I cannot stand the words, I can't. And there are people like, oh, I knew that. I was going to say that. But you were too chicken to do it, so you didn't raise your hand. That's okay. That's okay. You can be a coward if you want to. That's all right. But anyway, so th those two words, I cannot stand. I cannot stand them. When people say, oh, I can't. I, and Cassie knows this about me, that, that if she, she will say this, oh, I can't do that. And I'll go, well, that's not an acceptable answer. You can tell me you are too lazy to. You can tell me that you don't want to. You can tell me that I don't have enough time, but you cannot say that I can't. There is no way that you can say to me that you can't. I'm not going to ask you to do something that you physically cannot do, that you cannot fly from here to the moon. I will not say, Cassidy, get up out of your bed and go to the moon for me, please. I need some of the moon dust up there so I can sell it on eBay. I will not ask her to do that. I, just, I will not ask her to do those things, but I will ask her to bring the towels out of the bathroom instead of throwing them on the floor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> that is a physical possibility to take towels from the floor. And actually, I mean, like, her bathroom and the laundry room are literally, literally 10 feet from each other. I mean, like, you, just to take them and place them. I mean, I'm not asking her to do anything crazy or outlandish, like start the washing machine or put washing powders in the washing machine. I mean, I'm not asking for a miracle of God. I'm just asking her for, to take the, the towels and put them in the laundry room. I will handle the rest. I can, I can handle the rest if you'll just do that, you know. I do not like those words. I can't. But we use those words all the time, don't we? Why do we use those words so much? We, we, we use those words so much because we like to make excuses for us not being able to do something or not wanting to do something or, or being too lazy to do something or, or just not feeling like I'm in the mood to do something. We use those, those words as an excuse. Well, I can't do that. Look at the situation I'm in. Look, look at where I work. Look at where I go to school. Look at, look at this. Look at that. Look, look at how much money I have. Look at the fact that I don't have a car. And, and we just say, well, I can't. I can't, right? That's what we like to say. I, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. I want to challenge you tonight with a new series. A new series. We're starting a new series in Philippians tonight. And I want you to look at the pure joy that comes out of the book of Philippians. And I want you to look at where Paul is in his life and what he's enduring and, and the place that he's at. And, and, and I want you to think in your mind, if Paul can have joy in the midst of the situation he's in, why, why am I sitting here in this place of, of just pure, utter depression, solitude, loneliness? I, I feel like I'm at rock bottom. Why, why do I feel like that? And Paul has got every excuse in the world to feel like that, but he doesn't. Why? What's the difference? Is he sitting in jail? That's where he writes this letter from. Is he sitting in jail just sitting there and going, I can't. I can't. To the church. Of, what if he had wrote this to the church of Philippi? Dear church, to my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, I praise God for your name. I just wanted to convey one message to you, and that is that I'm in jail. I can't. Have a nice day. End of the book of Philippians, right? 
Can you imagine flipping open to God's Word and finding that? But that's not what we find. That's not at all what we find. We, we see a man with overwhelming joy under house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. We, we see a man with overwhelming amounts of joy in that situation. And yet we, day in and day out, are so consumed with, with the minutiae, the, the things that are going on right here, uh, right around us, that we, all we can say is, I can't. Instead of taking a step back for just a minute and looking at the bigger picture and looking at what, what God's able to do in and through us and just saying, you know what, I can as a matter of fact, I, so much so that I can that it's going to glorify God when I do. We, then that what happens? We, we get so, so focused on the right here. We can't see the bigger picture. And that's what Philippians to me is, is about. It's about Paul taking a step back and seeing the bigger picture. And because he can see that bigger picture, because he can see God's glory in every single situation, because he can give thanks in every situation, he can say, I can. Not only can I, but I can do it with joy as well because he sees the bigger picture. You see our little logo we've got up here. Do y'all know what these are? These are little tiny pictures. This is called a mosaic. Little tiny pictures that make up a bigger picture. And, and these are different people's faces, and, and you put those together. And, but when, from out there, what you see is you see two hands, making the, uh, two, yeah, two hands making the heart symbol, right? That's what you see. But up close, man, there's tons and tons of faces and different situations in each one of these lives, and who knows what they're going through, who knows what they're dealing with. But man, you take a step back and you look at the picture, you see something different, right? That's what I want to challenge you to do in your life, is to take a step back for just a minute and stop looking at the little bitty things that are telling you every single day, I can't, I can't, I can't, and take a step back and look and say, you know what, I can't. As a matter of fact, God has set this situation up so that he's going to give me an opportunity so that he can be more glorified when I do. Let's show a video here. Uh, think about this video every time you say to yourself, I can't. answer has two parts. First, our first race was to show someone who had an acquired disability that life goes on, and he could lead a productive life. The second reason for running is to be an inspiration to others. You see, it gives me a great feeling inside to see other families run with their family member with a disability, or for people without disabilities to push people who are disabled in races. Rick was attending uh, a basketball game 
and they made an announcement that one of the cross players from the college was in an accident. He was paralyzed from the waist down. So they're gonna have a charity road race to try to help him raise some money so he could pay his medical bills. Well, Rick came home from that basketball game and he said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I wanna let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed. I wanna run in the race. Well, at the time, I was 40 years old. I was not a runner. But we went down to the race and we finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. When we got home that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability disappears, which was a very powerful message to me. If you think about it, somebody can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and now they're out there running. The disability disappears. We have finished 1,091 race events in 34 years, including 252 triathlons, six of which are Ironman distances, 70 marathons, including 30 Boston marathons, 94 half marathons, and 155 5K races. When we first started running, I used to run for Rick, but now I'm out there running because we run together as a team. And it's got him in the best shape of his life, and it's got me in the best shape of my life that I've ever been in. You know, I'm 73 years old. Rick is 51 years old. He still can't talk, use his arms and his legs, but he's graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment. And Rick and I have competed in over 1,000 athletic events in the past 34 years. We are affecting people all over the world, and they're out competing because of us. They're out there running. It's just amazing to us that it's happened. This coming year is going to be our 31st Boston Marathon, and there's going to be a life-size bronze statue of us at the starting line. From the doctor saying he's going to be nothing but a vegetable, now he's going to be a rock statue. It doesn't come any better than that. We're Team Hoyt, and we run for the people who think they can't run. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For what I want you to understand, for what... I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Paul, is, he's in prison in Rome. He's under house arrest, as a matter of fact, in and day in and day out, he's actually chained to a Roman guard. Uh, if, if you read and you study, you will find out that it's not like he, he had a real long chain by which he was attached to a Roman guard. As a matter of fact, it would have been a very short chain, almost the size or a distance of a pair of handcuffs. And he was, he was that close to a Roman guard 24 by 7 when he slept, when he went to the bathroom, when he bathed. Every single thing he did, he was chained to that Roman guard. And, and, and 
Can you imagine how devastating this must have been for somebody who was used to it day in and day out, going and preaching the gospel and talking to people about Jesus and, and being able to, to, to go freely to and fro and, and everything you want to do is able to do that. And now all of a sudden he's under house arrest and he's, he's chained to a Roman guard. And, and, and some friends of his sent him some money, some friends from Philippi. And I, I hope you do that if I'm ever in prison. I hope you send me some money. Everybody's like... Paul is actually in prison because he has been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So hopefully if I'm ever in prison, it'll be for that reason and that reason alone. But his friends send him some money, and they want to find out how he's doing. They want to find out if things are okay, how are things going, and, and he writes this letter to them. And, and the thing that, that jumps out at me immediately when you read the first part of Philippians is that, that he has... He has joy in his life. He, he says in, in verse 4, he says, Whenever I pray, I make my requests for you all with joy. With joy. Giving thanks to God is what he says in verse 3. Over and over again, he's telling them, and this is a crazy thing if you think about where he is in his life, chained to a Roman guard, he's telling them, I give thanks for you. I have joy in my life. I'm praying for you. And here we see, in these first few verses, he says, I want you to understand what really matters. To take a close look at really, what really matters in life. This is where we struggle, right? This is, this is where we really, really, really struggle. I, I was having to write something from my boss. He, he, I got a promotion at work. And, you know, praise God for that. It's a wonderful thing. I'm not saying I didn't want it. It's a great thing. God gave me that. I'm thankful for it, okay? My boss had to, he wanted to do a write-up about me so he could send it out to some people. And, and I had to put some stuff together about myself. I'm not really good at that. I, to be honest with you, when people say, well, tell me about yourself, I'm not really good at that, all right? My boss, and I know, what, I know what he wants. I've seen it a million times what they want. They want to know, you know, where you went to school, what kind of degrees you got, what kind of certifications you have, how many kids you have, if you've got a wife, all that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff they want you to put in there, right? And, and so I'm starting to write this thing, and it takes me forever because I'm not very good at it, to be honest with you. But then I think about what I want to put at the end because at the end of these little, little blurbs they put about you, you always get to write something personal about yourself, what you enjoy. So-and-so likes to play golf, you know. He, he likes, you know, I don't know, whatever, like, you know, painting toenails. I don't know. But, but you always get to be able to put something very personal at the end of, of the, the, the little blurb about you, right? Well, that part was easy. Like, what, what do I enjoy? What, what, what really matters to me? That part was easy. I really didn't care about the certifications or, the, or the, the way I've worked myself through the company. I really didn't care about that stuff. It was actually hard for me to remember how I've gotten to this point, as a matter of fact. But, but I really did care about what I enjoy. And, and I got to put in there, man, I enjoy spending time with my church. That's what I enjoy. I, I enjoy playing baseball with kids with disabilities. Man, that's me. That's what really matters. To be honest with you, all that other junk, it really doesn't matter. That's just a means to an end for me. That, 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 that puts food on the table so that I can go on Saturdays and play baseball with kids with disabilities. That's the stuff that really matters to me. Coming in here on Wednesday night and telling you about Jesus Christ and how good he is, even in spite of the fact that your lives may be miserable at certain points, that's what really matters to me. 
to tell you that you can have joy in spite of the worst kind of devastation you can ever imagine, that's what matters. To be able to talk to people one-on-one when, when their lives are falling apart and I can see a smile come across their face because I tell them to have hope in Jesus Christ, that's what matters. That's what matters. But we get all wrapped up in all the other garbage and we don't think about what really matters. And Paul just says, just, I want you to know what really matters. I want you to see what really matters. And I believe he doesn't just do that with his words. I believe he does that with his actions and the fact that he is talking about how good God is in spite of the fact that he's arrested for sharing Jesus. You would think, man, if if I'm sharing Jesus, surely God's going to keep me from being arrested, right? No, not necessarily. It happens all the time. It still happens today. Still happens today, but let me, let me say this to you too, though. We think sometimes that, man, we need, to, we need to be in a place where the gospel is able to go out freely, you know, like the United States of America. We need to be in a place like this sharing the gospel. In places like China where it's really difficult and, and you can be persecuted and, and put in prison or killed or Afghanistan or Pakistan or something for preaching Christianity. I believe that, that what you see evidence of is, is the church growing and expanding and people coming to faith in Christ in those places where the gospel is suppressed more so than you see in a place like this in the United States of America where people are, are free to go and do as, however they please because we have it so easy, because we take it for granted. I, I think that because we take things so, so for granted, we... we we don't have an appreciation for how hard it is and, and, and how much we desperately need it. But you go to a place like Afghanistan where you can be killed for it, and, and those people appreciate what it means to be a Christ follower. I think Paul appreciated what it meant to be a Christ follower in his chains, preaching the gospel and being imprisoned for it. It says in verse 12, it says, And I want you to know my Dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me to spread the good news. He says, it hasn't hindered me, it's helped me. I'm in prison, it's helped me to spread the good news. For everyone, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here gain confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He says, you know what's happened? He says, me being in prison for the gospel has not squelched the gospel. It's not suppressed the gospel. What it has done, this caused other Christians to say, you know what? If Paul can do it, I can do it. If Paul can, can, can face being imprisoned and still go and preach boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can do that too. And because they saw his faith and they saw his actions, they embraced it as well and said, you know what? It may happen to me, but I'm going to have the same kind of joy Paul has when I go into prison too. It has not suppressed. It says the whole palace guard has even been impacted. Everybody knows why he's in prison. They know why he's under house arrest. It's for preaching the gospel. This news has gotten out. And he's got guards. It even says in chapter 4 that, 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 that the people that are chained to him, he's starting to lead them to Christ. And those guys, the Roman soldiers that are chained to Paul, they're coming to faith in Christ and telling other Roman soldiers 
about Christ and they're coming and hearing Paul. And he's just bringing them in day after day after day. He's just telling them how good God is. Why? Why are all these people being affected by the gospel? Why are all these people being so profoundly impacted by this gospel message that Paul is preaching? Because Paul's in chains. Not in spite of the fact he's in chains, but because he is in chains. Let me ask you this. What impacts you more? Somebody that tells you about how good and amazing and wonderful God is when they are in prison versus somebody that's just out on the streets walking around free to go and do and say whatever they want to. I think somebody that, that, that's in prison that's talking about the goodness of God or somebody that's lost a loved one that's talking about how amazing God's goodness is and His grace and His mercy is, I believe that is profoundly impactful. I believe that doesn't, that doesn't hinder the gospel. I believe it strengthens the gospel. You look at somebody that's at rock bottom and has got nothing, and they are talking about how amazing it is to know Jesus Christ. And you go, I want what he's got. I, I, want, I, I, want, I want a piece of whatever he's got. If he's got that much, that much desire and passion for this thing that he has and he's telling us about how good God is and he's in chains, imagine how much better it's going to be for me, somebody that doesn't have any chains on me. It didn't hinder the gospel. It promoted the gospel. It pushed the gospel forward. And he says, I want you to know that everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread the good news. And he, said, he says, for everyone, including the whole palace guard, for everyone here, not just the palace guard, everyone here, the palace guard, the people outside the palace guard, the, everybody, they're all hearing about the fact that I, I preached the gospel and got put in prison for it. And you know what's happening? They're hearing the gospel. They're hearing the gospel. You know what was really important to Paul? Do you, do you, do you, have you picked up on it yet? What, what was the most important thing to Paul? The good news, right? The gospel. That was the most important thing to him. So long as that was happening, so long as people were hearing the good news, so long as people were hearing about hope and grace and mercy, Paul was happy. That's what gave him joy. That's what really mattered to Paul. We find every excuse in the world not to tell people good news, don't we? Well, I don't know how they'll, they'll take it. They may think I'm some weirdo freak. They may think I'm trying to beat them over the head with the Bible. You don't realize what kind of school I go to. You don't realize how many non-Christians I'm around. I mean, people are smoking pot and, and, and drinking, and, and you just don't know what it's like to be where I am. You don't understand. They're not going to respond. They're not going to embrace what I'm saying. All they're going to do is reject, reject, reject. It's going to be pointless. Notice, notice what Paul was worried about. He wasn't worried so much about about people responding to the gospel as he was him preaching the gospel. It wasn't the response that mattered the most. It was the fact that people were hearing the good news. That's what he found joy in. He knew that the, the response to the gospel was up to God in their hearts and, and them to respond to it. All he had to do was preach it and, and, and say what was on his heart that God had put there, and that was his most 
passionate desire. That's what Paul cared about. That's what Paul desired most. It says in verse 15, he says, listen to this. Listen to what he says here. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy or rivalry. But others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me. For they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make my chain... Uh, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. He says, there are people out there that are preaching sincerely. They're preaching because they've seen what I preach and they're on the same page with me. And they, they, they're, they're preaching with sincerity and they're preaching this good news and this good message for the, with the right intent. He said, but there's some others out there that are preaching for the intent of trying to harm me. They, they're trying to, to, maybe, to maybe say some things to try to discredit me. They're trying to, to say some things to, to maybe make me look bad. He said, but they're preaching Christ. They're preaching Christ. Trying to, to make it more painful to me. Let's go on. He says, but that doesn't matter. He said, they may be trying to discredit me. They may be trying to make me look bad. He said, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. He says, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. Once again, people are talking bad about him. They're make, trying to make him look bad. But he says, I don't care so long as they're preaching Jesus, as long as they're preaching this good news, that's why I rejoice. I don't care how I look. I don't care what people think about me. What I care most about is what people think about Christ. And he says, so I rejoice. Once again, he's in prison, chained to a Roman soldier, writing this, maybe late at night, writing, so I rejoice. People are out there talking bad about me. I'm in prison for preaching this good news some of the guys that proclaim to be preaching the good news, they're, they're doing that, but they're, they're still talking bad about me at the same time. He said, I don't care. So long as they're preaching the good news, that's all I care about, and that's the reason I rejoice. He says, and I will continue to rejoice. He says, not only do I rejoice right now, but it's going to be a process. It's going to be something that continues to happen. It's not going to stop right here, and when you get this letter, it's not going to be finished already. That, that, that's our problem, isn't it? Ten minutes into rejoicing because of the good news has been preached, we go outside and we start thinking about what we got to do tomorrow. We, gotta, we start thinking about who's going to be at work tomorrow, the things we got to do, the people we're going to face, the trials that are going to be there, school, work, wherever. And instead of the continuing part, we let the rejoicing stop right there at the door, don't we? We hear the gospel, we hear the good news, we hear the promise and the hope and all of that, and we say, oh man, that was so good, that was so refreshing, that's what I needed. And we walk out the door, and it's like a wash or a wave of despair comes over us, and we go, but what about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? My question to you is this, what are you focused on? What's most important to you? 
Are, are you looking at the little bitty tiny things that are all around you? Are you looking at the bigger picture and saying, what is my purpose? What is this place that God has got me in? And how can I use this situation to glorify God and to bring people to Christ? He says, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. This will lead to my deliverance. Do you think <laughs> do you think Paul was worried about getting out of prison for the sake of getting out of prison? I think based on what we just read, I don't think Paul cares if he's in prison or not. He just thinks that maybe he can, he can get out there and maybe reach somebody else. He, he, I, I, believe, I believe genuinely and sincerely that, that the reason that he says, your prayers will lead to my deliverance, he, he, he's, he's talking about so he can get out there and reach more people for the gospel. He's talking about for the sole purpose of being able to reach more people and talk to more people and, and being able to reach other people in Rome, this vile, nasty, awful place where they're worshiping all these false gods. That's his desire. That's his desire for us. If people were to take a step back from your life, look at this 30,000-foot view. If they're in an airplane looking down at your life and looking at the things you do day in and day out, the things you spend money on. Oh, I said that, right? The thing where you put your money, right? You're like, Kenny, you can't say that. You're the pastor. Yeah, but I don't get paid, so I can say that. Where you put your money, what you invest in, what you invest in financially, what you invest in with your time, where does that go? If people were, were to sit up on top of a real tall building and watch you day in and day out and just say, well, let's see. Let's see what's really important. Let's see where their focus is. Let's see, let's see where the, 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 what revolves around their life. Let's see where they spend all of their energy and their time. Let's just see. Let's just see what they do. What would they see? What would they see? What would they say about you? They would say, okay, I got three sentences to write down about, about you and where you spend your time, your money, where all of your focus is. What would they, what would they say about your life? And yet we wonder. Yeah, we wonder, why don't I have that kind of joy? Why don't I have that kind of passion? Why do I feel so downtrodden and so burdened and so overwhelmed every single day when I go into work? Because where is your focus? Where is your focus? What matters most to you? Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, for your word. Lord, how it challenges us in ways that we never can challenge ourselves. God, how it reveals to us our motives. God, the things going on in our hearts. And Lord, maybe it's challenged somebody here today. Maybe they know that they're not a Christ follower. Maybe they know that, that Jesus Christ is not number one in their life. And maybe you've challenged them through that. And God, you just want to draw them to you, God, and save their soul tonight. I pray that they would respond to you. God, and then for the person that calls themselves a Christ follower, they, they call themselves a believer in Jesus Christ. And they say that you have prominence in their life. God, but they are struggling. God, they're struggling with the overwhelming burdens and, and, and just the things in this life that are crushing them. God, I pray that you would allow them to take a step back from their life, 
Let them see where they're spending their time and their energy. Let them see what is most important, God, so that, that, that they might be able to, to recognize that, God, you need to change me. God, you need to restore me. You need to make me new. You need to do something radical in my life. So I respond to you. God, there are so many times, God, when I have to take a step back in my life, God, and I, I, I confess to you, Lord, I come to you and I just say, God, help me to see what's going on in my life the way you see what's going on in my life. God, maybe somebody here needs to do that. Maybe they just need to cry out to you and God said, help me to see, Lord. Help me to see myself the way you see me. Lord, I, I don't know what you're going to do with this message. I don't know what you're going to do with, with the people in this room and how you're going to convict their hearts or, or what you're going to do in their lives. God, but I just pray right now. God, is there making every excuse in the world to not come down to this altar and pray? Is there... Is there, is there saying, I, 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 I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. I pray that you would remove those words from their mind. That, that they can. They can. Because of your grace, because of your mercy, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Maybe somebody else will look at their lives and it'll be, it'll be used for your glory. And they'll say, man, if that person can go down there and pray... God, I can too. Lord, I pray, God, for the hearts and lives in this building. God, I pray that you would restore, you would strengthen. God, and if there's somebody here that's not a Christ follower and they desire to be, I pray that you would renew. God, make them new today. Father, we love you so much. God, I'm so sorry that I get focused on so many things that aren't of you. God, change me. Change all of us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Will everyone please stand?